This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I'm your host, Tim. Uh, you may know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. Today, Tom is not with us, um, but we are back. We are podcasting. It was brought up to me that the two times this series we haven't had a pod have been the two times that the Lakers have lost a game. We will not be uh, providing a third opportunity for that. Um, so I'm here today to talk. I don't think this will be too long, but I, I don't know. I After watching the film, not super happy. Actually, after watching the game live, not happy. After watching the film, irate. Um, the Lakers blew this one. We, we saw so many dumb unforced errors and I, I think Pete Zayas did a good job highlighting many of those and, and I saw a number of others that made me really frustrated as well um, Pete Pete had a great uh, thread of go go find the Laker film room thread on Twitter where he just play after play after play of guys ball watching or blowing screen coverages not communicating so many little dumb things and against a team like Miami that we've talked about will put you in tough situations and is trying to stay ahead of you with adjustments and is constantly doing little things to mess you up. You can't help them by not communicating and ball watching and making all those dumb unforced errors. Um, I didn't count how many of Miami's points were off of errors. I think Pete did at one point. It was, I think like 20 of the first 30 or 30 of the first 30 points, something like that. Really bad. Um, LA was sloppy. LA, I, I think there, I'll get into it, but I, I think there's a case to be made. And actually, I, I see a growing and growing case to be made to support some of what we talked about pre-series. Um, to start this game, just just to show the differences, to start this game, LA ran one of their, their you know long, slow-developing plays to get a cross-screen for Anthony Davis that, of course, doesn't get him the ball in the post. It gets him the ball, what, at the three-point line? 95% of the time we run that. On the other side of the, the court, Miami's first play, they ran a ball screen directly into a bunch of traffic on purpose, knowing that the ball handler wasn't going to go anywhere, but leaving more room for Bam to roll against roll in space against uh, LA catch hedging with Dwight. Wide open lob. Um, smart play versus just the same old set plays. that I, I can't understand why the Lakers run some of these plays. If they track how successful those actions are, those sets are, they should know that they're not working. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. And uh, I apologize if, if this pot will be a little herky-jerky, a little bit more pauses or ums. I, I don't anticipate having this one edited. Coming to you, <laughs> coming to you raw. Um, the Lakers are still in a good position. We've talked about so many of the different adjustments they could make. And I, I entered last game thinking that, hey, we're up 3-1. We've basically done almost the minimum from a tactical standpoint to get to where we are. 
which frustrates me. Um, and, and I'd love to beat the hell out of every team that we play and, and constantly be on top of adjustments. And if we know something's a weakness of theirs, exploit it immediately. Game one right away. Don't just play vanilla game plans or, or stay behind with these things and, and eat it just squeak out wins. But we saw that catch up to LA. Uh, I, I guess where I was going with that was if, if you looked at it as, hey, we're up 3-1 and we have plenty of moves left, that can be good. But the fact that you get to that point likely means that the coaching staff isn't isn't making those moves that they should be making. So, ah, what a game. Um, it was a great game. There were a lot of good individual performances. The Lakers wasted just an incredible LeBron effort on the offensive end from a scoring standpoint with, with his, you know, rebounding and his assists, all of that. But the Lakers, even on that final play, there were, <laughs> we have people going after LeBron for not shooting, which he, he should have passed. It was the right play. We've got people going after Danny Green for missing the shot. He, he did miss the shot. It wasn't quite as wide open as it initially looked. He had KCP wide open in the corner, didn't make that pass. And then Markeith gets the ball. And right, right on brand, as we've seen every game this series, or, or from game three on, L.A. trying to make post entries and throwing the ball out of bounds against a, a front coverage against AD. Morris had other guys open. He had LeBron wide open. I, I think Miami probably would have recovered to, to that pass out, but LeBron would have still would have gotten a shot off. But that just... A frustrating end, but I want to focus more on just that and, and point fingers at individual plays because there's so much more to point fingers at. Getting back to it, I, I think simplifying our defense and trying to play fundamental basketball, trying to play with athleticism, play with force, isn't possible with how diverse Miami's man-to-man offense is if, if we are defending each of their actions the way we should be defending. In some cases, you want to hedge. In some cases, you don't want to hedge, depending on the action, depending on the personnel. Not all handoffs are built the same. Depending on where the ball screens are on the court, it could be different. So Miami's smart enough that they have a diverse offensive attack, and they're also smart enough to recognize what coverages we're running and say, okay, you're going to run a catch hedge or you're going to switch. Well, we're going to put you in that same situation, let you go to your catch hedge or go to your switch or whatever whatever LA is doing, but on a piece of the court where that's not the right way to go. So Elias tried to keep up with that, tried to counter, but now we're at the point where like, these guys need to be walking around with those uh, like quarterback wristbands that say, all right, this is this is what the play is because there's so much going on and LA has really struggled to execute. I would love for them to be able to execute. I, I mean, I've seen, I've coached on teams where we were able to execute I've played on teams where we were able to execute different coverages in different situations for different players, yada, yada, yada. But Ellie's not doing that. If they can get that together, they they would have won this game. But if they want to try to simplify things, I don't think you can unless you're going to start switching, which has burned LA in the past against Butler at times. But that won't be the case if the Lakers do what pretty much every team that they've played in the playoffs has done against them with some of those paint packing and other rim protecting tactics that we've seen. I don't care if, like, think about this. Miami is getting away with defending the rim with one rim protector 
who isn't any, he's a good rim protector. He's young in his career. This isn't a knock on Bam. He will grow and he will be a much better player in a year or two or three. Right now, he's a good rim protector. Miami doesn't have any others. They have a number of weak perimeter defenders. Tyler Hero, Dragic, who isn't playing, Duncan Robinson. The Lakers are unable to exploit those mismatches even when they are able to get them. And, and Miami's doing what they can to limit those, but when they when the Lakers do get those mismatches, we're still not able to get to the rim and score all that well, or not nearly as much as we, we normally could because of those tactics we've seen. And we've seen this round after round after round. So if we if we flip the switch or flip flip our perspective and we, we think about how we can learn from what the Lakers have seen. The Lakers can be in similar positions where you have Ron, Rajon Rondo defending Jimmy Butler, or Dwight Howard def- defending Jimmy Butler, whoever it is, KCP, pick, pick, a, pick a player. You can feel much better about those situations if, I mean, all you really need to do is not, if my, Miami, on so many plays last night, it's so frustrating. They'll have two shooters standing close enough to each other that they can touch each other. If they, if they reach their arms out. And the Lakers will have two defenders standing right there. And that makes it... That takes away two defenders from the play. Where you could have one of those guys kind of zone up those two players who are right next to each other. And the other one sag into the paint and be there to help and play defense. On, on any sorts of drives. Little things like that are just tiny tactics that like... It, it shouldn't be a crazy idea because you've literally had to scheme around playing that defense for four rounds. Um, so so just something like that is something that if the Lakers want to, they could start switching everything, every action. The only guys are gonna that are going to beat you on those switches with the rotation Miami is playing are maybe none getting to the rim. And, and, and you have players who, who can defend the rim pretty well. We have tall guys all around. Jimmy Butler getting to the rim. That's pretty much it. Tyler Hero isn't isolating well. He hasn't isolated well. He probably won't isolate all that efficiently. And if he does, that's the way I want to lose this, this series. Bam Adebayo isn't a post player. We, we talked about this pre-series. He almost never posts up. He's given mismatches, doesn't exploit those in the post. He has one post approach, which we've spoken about pre-series. This is a team that you can get away with switching against as long as you have that back-end paint-packing defense. If you can switch against LeBron and AD in their actions and, and shut LA down, you should be able to switch a Jimmy Bam action where neither of those guys can shoot from, from the perimeter. Um, so it, it, that's one approach. If, if LA wants to simplify things and uh, uh, just let guys focus, play your assignment, Everybody knows what every coverage is going to be because it's going to be a switch. And then you have that back-end defense to try to protect against what could be happening. And these switches, instead of just having that catch hedge on the switch and, and then, you know, whoever's running off that handoff, uh, stick with them and, and then run to the new guy, have a hard show when you're switching on these. And have the original defender immediately go take that uh, that screener. Communicate. You got to communicate, especially when the Lakers are having uh, guards in these actions. When Miami's running their ghost screens, these inverted ball screens, your guys need to communicate. AD, Dwight Howard, those guys are used to being that communicator in those actions. But you need your wings, you need your guards, you need LeBron to be able to run that defense. Or 
if they're not, you need AD or you need Dwight quarterbacking things from another part on the court and yelling out what should be happening. We, we've seen other teams do that. That can work, but it, it needs to be determined and executed the right way. Another approach that the Lakers could take, for simplicity's sake, would be to play a 3-2 zone, which, hey, it's weird how that fits into all of the issues we're seeing. That lets the Lakers play big. They can keep their interior defenders on the inside. They can keep their good perimeter defenders on the perimeter. I mean, I've shared this before. Miami has the sixth worst offense this year versus zones. And and when you look at how they've performed against 3-2 zones on the season and how they've approached them, even in the playoffs against Indiana in, in the final game of that series and a little bit into the second last game of that series, they didn't approach it all that well. It was just too late for Indy. They were overmatched and, and they went to it too late, but it worked. We saw Brooklyn use a zone, a 3-2 zone against Miami, and it worked. We've seen teams use 2-3 zones and them work. The Lakers have used 3-2 zones, these playoffs. Um, start the game with it. If it works, keep using it. If if Miami adjusts well, get out of it. But you don't know if it's going to be a series changer, a series winner, or it'll be just you know a mediocre use of four or five possessions unless you try it. And Miami was scoring almost 30 points per quarter from quarters one to three last night. So it's it's not like you're going to be losing much if you run it for five plays and then after after those five plays it, it becomes obvious that Miami does know how to attack it starting the game with it uh, gives you a full game of its impact it gives you a full game of Miami not having an off day to prepare against it and the good news is you only need to win one more game Miami can I don't I don't care if Miami knows how to attack the 3-2 zone on Monday if on Sunday, they're not ready and they can't figure it out in-game. And we've seen that happen in the past. Another thing that really angered me, uh, this was on the offensive end. On the, on the defensive end, there were so many little things that, that were frustrating from an execution standpoint, communication standpoint, attention to detail standpoint, and it just, you know, guys ball watching. I think KCP, three or four times, he gave up open three-pointers. Same thing with Danny Green. Because they didn't have their stance the right like it just very basic stuff have your back to the baseline be able to see your man and be able to see the ball at all times and turning your head not being in a right stance where you have to turn and completely you know lose vision of your man to see the ball are the little things that that the Lakers were making mistakes with and gave up numerous open three-pointers because of it and credit to Miami they took advantage and they hit those shots but one just nauseating thing for me was just the just the high volume of open lobs to Dwight. And I know I've talked about this pretty much every round of the playoffs. I counted six in the first three minutes of the game where Dwight was wide open and the Lakers had the ball in a position to throw a lob. They did not throw the lob. There were several plays where Dwight was literally doing jumping jacks in the paint by himself, demanding a lob, and nothing came. And, and, like that, those if you if the Lakers figured out how to throw those, some of these five game series that we've seen would be four game series, and in this series would be over. But if they can figure that out now, I, I would be thrilled. And and let's talk about Dwight because I, I've had people say, hey, well, why why play Dwight? His 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 on off numbers aren't good on offense and defense, which is true. But realize that those are on the small sample. Realize that those are vulnerable to noise in the data. And one way that we can 
very clearly see that that noise is impacting that data is using his luck adjusted on off numbers, which won't let some hot or cold three point shooting or free throw shooting make his time on the court look way better or way worse than it truly has been. It looks more at the process than just the results. And when you look at that data, he has been a help to the Laker offense. The Lakers have been better with him on the court, and that is despite them not using any of those lobs. Defensively, the Lakers have been worse, and that's true in the raw data, true in the luck-adjusted data, but if the Lakers do go to a 3-2 zone, you erase those concerns. If they go to a 3-2 zone, he's playing at the rim, rebounding, helping. He's doing what he is good at doing. If you run a full switching scheme and you have that paint packing behind him, if Jimmy Butler goes by him, that's not the, the worst position to be in compared to what the Lakers are have, have been giving up in other ways. So I, I see the offense is, has actually been better than, than the raw numbers may suggest, and the defense hasn't been good, but we know why it hasn't been good, and we know the ways to fix that. So this is another case of you can't just look and say, oh, you know what, this hasn't been working, or this player hasn't been working, therefore we're going to shut them out. There are little tweaks you can make to make the most of them. And let's talk about Dwight some more. The Lakers rebound much better on both ends of the court when he plays. Miami has gotten to the rim and gotten to the line far less when he's playing, even in man-to-man defense. We know his lobs are open all day. We see him sealing defenders under the rim, and the Lakers are able to just generate easy offense or draw fouls that way if they use them. We saw AD go to this a little bit last game too. Either of those guys, if they can bury somebody under the rim, get them the ball, draw that foul. If Dwight shoots, what, 60% on free throws, that's 1.2 points per possession, that's fantastic offense. If he shoots 70%, that's incredible offense. If you're drawing fouls, you're getting into the bonus quicker, that's really good for the Lakers. He's that lob threat counter to Miami's paint packing. You don't need AD to be standing in the dunker spot to, to do something about that. You can let AD pick and pop. You can let AD be part of the actions. AD can have the ball isolating or wherever he is and Dwight in that you know weak side dunker spot is that lob threat he is that counter by having him in that spot let's think about this if we have Anthony Davis isolating from the right wing and you've got four shooters out there Markeith Morris out there the Lakers if they space them out one at the top of the key one in the opposite corner and then the other two guys kind of like in the wingish area it's so easy for the defense to take one of those four defenders, plop them in the paint, play 3v4 weak side, and recover to a skip pass. So easy. We've seen this round after round. If you stick one of those players, and the Lakers have done this, Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo, Danny Green, stick them in the dunker spot. You, you can't just leave them alone. And then suddenly you have three defenders guarding three shooters weak side, and it's far harder to send one of those three defenders off of them because they're much more spaced out. Now, instead of having Alex Caruso or Danny Green in that dunker spot, have an actual lob threat. That's that's the upgrade there. Instead of taking a shooter and, and adjusting to what Miami's doing by sticking that shooter, you know, Caruso's not really a shooter. Some of these guys aren't great shooters. Instead of sticking that, in theory, floor-spacing player in the dunker spot as the counter to how Miami's playing you, Stick the guy who can actually make the most of that position in there. So, like, offensively, the the opportunity is there. L.A. can make more out of what has already been good Dwight offensive minutes. And defensively, you you can remedy a lot of the concerns you have by playing 3-2 or switching and having that paint packing. Um, Miami, let's think about this some more. Miami has one big 
that can body him, sort of. Uh, body him is not the right word. They have one big that can really hold their own against him. That's that's Bam. If Bam is on AD, or Bam is switched onto LeBron or something, Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard's going to eat on somebody. If it's a Linux, if it's Leonard, if you're making them enter the game, and they haven't been, they didn't play last game. Miami played a seven-man rotation. Neither of those guys played. Leonard has barely played this series since I don't think he's I don't know if he's played at all since Bam came back. But him or Olenek, both very poor defensive rebounders. If Crowder's out there and he's trying to guard Dwight, Dwight, much, much more so than Markeith Morris, will be able to expose Crowder's D-grade box-out rating on his player profile at B-ball index. Olenek and Leonard, their defensive rebounding success rate uh, plus-minus metrics, which account for the degree of difficulty based on who's boxing out and uh, how contested those opportunities are, how far they are from the, the, the rim, all that stuff. Let me pull it up. I know it's poor for both of them. Uh, let's see, Alenic and F. Leonard, a D minus. Those guys aren't going to be keeping him off the boards. And we've seen at times this series when, when Dwight and AD are out there together, just LA just dominating the offensive glass and getting shot after shot after shot until something goes in. That is a way to be resilient to streaking shooting. Let's see, what else? The Lakers' effective field goal percentage has been much, much better with Dwight on the court versus off the court. Second best among all Laker players. Higher than just when LeBron's out there, higher than when AD's out there. When Dwight's on the court, the Lakers are are shooting more efficiently. So uh, all these things put together, if, if LA really wants to go back to asserting their will, playing simplistic basketball, having their, in asserting their physical presence, he can be a big part of that. This isn't true for every series. It isn't true for every opponent versus this opponent with the personnel they have and with how the Lakers could be defending them and how they could be attacking this team and in what Miami has shown they are vulnerable to. I think this could be a smart move. Let's see what else. I just have a bunch of notes. Let's talk about the, the cross screens that aren't working. The Lakers are running these screening actions against an already packed paint where KCP or another guard will go from one block to the other, try to set a screen for Anthony Davis to work his way from one block to the other. It's it's high school offense. Um, it's an action that can work in the NBA. We see it work in the regular season. Based on how Miami is defending the Lakers, it's not working. Just in general. Based on how they're defending this action, where they're ready for it, we saw Bam last night jump in front of it. He went off the screen before AD did and then was able to front him on the other end. It, that's just not working. It's clogging the paint. It makes it so your on-ball player has no opportunity to attack, which is something that I... One of the tenets of, of offensive scheme for me is synergistic action and action away from the ball that can occupy help defenders, generate offensive looks, and allow you to be creating offense you know, off the ball while at the same time making it so if your on-ball player does drive or does isolate, there's an empty paint and those those help side or the, those uh, help defenders are, are occupied by those other actions. When the Lakers do this, it doesn't do any of that. And so many of the times, AD, by the time he actually gets the ball, because one, Miami's defending this well, two, they're trying to front him when they can, Three, Anthony Davis doesn't do a great job of actually using his body and, and ducking in and, and really posting somebody up hard and presenting a target. He's often just kind of getting to the position 
and and he's not making himself wide in a way that allows the defense to get around him in front of him to get over and disrupt a pass if it comes. Um, all of that ends up with so many of these post entries, which we also know the Lakers aren't very good at getting to AD like half a step inside the three-point line. So you waste six seconds, you increase your rate of turnover, turning over the ball, you ensure that your on-ball player has no chance to score, no opportunities to score, and you end up with a result of something that you could have just done by just having Anthony Davis stand at the three-point line pretty much. So I, I see that as a something the Lakers should probably cut out. And instead of that, you can do a number of different things. You can have AD set a screen for somebody else, set a, a flex screen where uh, the players, you know, uh, how do I explain this? So if Anthony Davis is at the block, KCP's in the corner, AD sets a screen for KCP to, to cut across the lane. If AD gets a good screen on KCP's guy, you're going to have AD's man needing to help on that cutter. If this is Kuzma, great. Help on that cutter, which means they'll be behind him, which means you can get a post-entry in pretty easily. This is very simple offense. You see college teams do this all the time. If they switch that, have whoever that is clear out, have KCP Kuzma, whoever, clear out, and then all of a sudden you have AD on the inside against a guard, and that uh, big man is, is you know ideally following your shooter, and if they're not following your shooter, your shooter might be open. So running little flex screens like that, running back screens, same idea. Nice and simple, you know, run a horn set, have AD set a back screen for somebody, and then get him the ball at the elbow or get him the ball in the mid post. You can run that KCP pin down that the Lakers ran a couple times last game that worked, um, where AD is at like the elbow when KCP goes around him. When the ball has gotten to KCP and he's turned the corner, we have gotten good shots. Um, it's often on an empty side of the court, which means that AD can pop and there's no, no help defense, or he can roll and there's no help defense. KCP is able to make those decisions, which is very nice. And he is a guy that you can't go under against the same way you can with like a Rondo or a LeBron or whoever ball screen. So that's often creating the advantage and, and his passing allows LA to exploit that. And actually it's more in theory, you can't go against under against him because after the second time the Lakers ran that play in quick succession, the third time they went to it, Miami did go under. And it would have been a wide-open three-pointer for KCP if he didn't run towards the rim to meet his man who was going under the screen. If he would have just backed up to the three-point line, again, on that empty side of the court, so there's no help defense, if he would have just faded off of that and backed away from the screen, he's wide open. So... That's just the simple read. That's the simple tweak LA can make. Um, run it the first time, have him have him fade. After that, you might be able to have him curl if, if they realize he'll fade and they, they d- decide not to go under. But just little simple things like that. Running, running AD as a screener and then sending those post entries is probably better than running a cross screen for him. Let's talk about the Laker pick and roll offense. And this this is going long. I gotta go watch the the Notre Dame game. Uh, the Laker pick and roll offense. We, we've been using ghost screens um, before the Lakers have all five guys down the court. So I'm <laughs> literally like half a dozen possessions. This action didn't do anything because Miami had three defenders for two Laker players because Dwight or AD were just jogging and passing half court as the action happened. So that show and recover 
which gives up the flare, or I'm sorry, gives up that slip to to the three point line on that ghost action, was met by that extra help defense because Crowder, whoever that was, could just stand there and or or help in whatever way they needed to because as that action was happening, you know, AD was just crossing half court. So LeBron needs to just wait another second and a half and then run that action, and then it'll be open. We saw the Lakers use LeBron as a screener for Rondo, and with how Miami's dropping and going under against Rondo, LeBron pops are open, and I am happy with LeBron catch-and-shoot open threes. I, I don't know about you, but I would be thrilled with those. We saw screens with the Laker bigs seeing drop coverage and, and, and players going under often, which you can pop against if, if you have AD, or you can flip that and reverse this, the screening angle and try to go downhill if you have Howard there. But LeBron plus AD together often means a switch, which has been that combo's kryptonite all season long. If, if you look at their efficiency and all the different ways that defenses could defend that action, based on some second spectrum data that I got from a source, they're destroying worlds if you drop, if you run catch hedges, if you try to blitz, if you're hard hedge, anything. If you if you just switch, boom, that action dies and, and the Lakers don't get, don't get good offense. And when Bam and Jimmy are out there, they're often just switching that, and that's favorable for Miami. So if they are going to switch that, uh, there I mean, there are a couple different things you can do. One thing you can do is run those into, just like Miami did on their first play of the game, run that into a crowded side of the court and knowing that LeBron won't be attacking downhill, but opening that space for AD to slip that screen and look for a lob. I'd, I'd start the game with that, go right at that coverage, and see if you can get Miami to stop switching that action, because if so, then you can get those AD pick and pops, you can get LeBron attacking downhill, all those different things. And the LeBron AD action with the pick and pop, plus Howard weak side, plus shooter spaced out, means there's no extra defense coming. And if some extra defense does come, you've got a wide-open player. We saw Rondo and AD empty side ball screens work several times, which I'm, I'm happy with. LeBron does, uh, I'm sorry, Rondo does a really good job keeping his dribble and, and moving towards the rim, attacking the rim, to keep both defenders on him. They're often dropping and going under, so he'll go right at those two guys, keep them with him while AD pops and is wide open. Or, on these empty side screens, when AD does roll or Howard does roll, Rondo is patient enough and will attack across the key enough so in, 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 in line to the point where Howard or AD's man can't help off of him or that lob's there. And if they don't come, Rondo is attacking kind of across the key and he's shooting that, you know, attacking from the left side, doing that right-handed layup off the right side of the backboard into the, into the bucket without uh, rim protection. So I'm, I'm happy with those. If we talk about LA's inverted ball screens, like the ghost screens we said earlier, wait till you have your guys down the court. But when you run them, you know, run them to, to the slip. Run them to slip that pop and look for those three-pointers. Don't have Danny Green linger around mid-range. Don't have him short roll. That We know that's not going to work. If you're picking as the Lakers, what, you know, we have got 30 plays, and here's the ideal result of each of those. The ideal result of a Danny Green short roll, what, like what is what is the goal there, and does that match his skill set? Is that the best way to make the most out of him? I would I would say not. So, I mean, put KCP in those actions over Danny Green as long as Miami's running that show and recover. Uh, do that over and over and get KCP like six threes in the first quarter and make Miami just start switching that action. 
One guy who I did like in the short role was Caruso, who has shown a willingness to attack the rim with force, even though he's not the best finisher, but him attacking with purpose, with speed, in that advantage situation, with with two guys temporarily on the ball against LeBron, gets shots at the rim, it gets lob up opportunities, it got LeBron an easy put back, um, and it draws fouls. So attacking with purpose is something we've seen from Kuz at times, something we've seen from LeBron at times, something from Caruso at times, something from KCP at times. That is when the Lakers are, are performing well, when they're able to attack. I think you can also look to run some dribble handoffs with AD as the, the man with the ball, similar to you know Nurkic in the first round, or Jokic in, what, the third round, or Bam this round, where AD can hand the ball off to LeBron if... Uh, there, um, if there isn't a hedge, uh, if Miami switches and AD is able to keep the ball and attack downhill on a fake handoff, go for it. Um, if he does hand the ball off, roll or pop. There are some options there. Read the defense, understand what they're playing, and, and attack it the right way. If you look at the Lakers isolating, we are not countering Miami's paint packing in smart ways. In the past, in, in la- literally last round, sending a cutter worked because... Denver was playing man-to-man defense in those situations. If you cut, they followed you, and that created a gap for LeBron or AD to drive, on the, usually on the high side. So it was generally the guy at the top of the key cutting through, boom, there's a, there's a gap to attack. Miami's not doing that. Miami is playing almost like a 2-2 zone in those situations with one guy on ball and then four guys, you know, two at the blocks, two at the elbows, pretty, pretty much, you know, those general spots. But protecting the paint, not respecting the Lakers shooters. Those lobs are open all day. Um, what will work against this are the lobs or those pin-in flares that we've spoken about where you make that skip pass and Howard or whoever's in that dunker spot sets the screen on the low opposite side of the court defender for shooter in the weak side corner. So Danny Green or KCP or Kyle Kuzma or Alex Caruso, throw that screen to them, have Dwight or whoever it is set that flare and get some open threes. And the way to stop that if you're Miami is to try to stay behind that player, which allows those lobs to be available. So it's a one or the other. That's what Miami is giving up with their defense. That's what the Lakers, or that's how the Lakers could look to attack that. If you look at the Miami pick and roll offense, um, using Jimmy as a ball screener was smart. We, we talked about this pregame. Uh, I, I did a Reddit AMA, had some great interactions, some great questions. Uh, hopefully that was useful. To go take a look at that if you're interested. And in, I think I answered like 50 questions. If there's no hedge, which the Lakers often did, they didn't want to get AD off of Jimmy. So they didn't hedge. Try to turn the corner. We saw none be good at this. Hero, not as good. If LA does, does hedge, try to string that out and force a switch the same way we saw Denver play last series. But for Miami, it'd be Jimmy mid-range shots um, in that pick and roll, try to set a little bit deeper than the, the pick-and-pop Jokic threes that Denver would try to go to if we refuse to switch like we saw the game the Lakers do in Game 3 of that last series. On the under plus show-and-recover coverage that the Lakers did against Miami's pick-and-roll, um, LA is so intent on that show being quick and that under being fast that Miami just rejected those. And, you know, after a shoulder fake or a jab step, attacked not the way the screen was set and all of a sudden zero out of the possible two defenders in that action are defending it and you get downhill. You can't go under until the player uses the screen. When players reject screens, it's because 
you're you're going over under the screen too early. And when that happens, teams score what like one point four, one point five points per possession. You you cannot give up those opportunities. This is easier if LA switches or plays that three two zone, but you, you need to communicate. You need to force the player to use the screen and then go about about it the right way. Um, AD on Jimmy is nice, but when Bam's out there having AD away from the action as a helper with his vacuum arms. And, you know, we've heard Vogel talk about this. AD as that weak side help guy defending the rim and defending, you know, skip passes is that that's him almost in his, in his best situation. If you can be switching and I don't care who's on ball, but AD is able to defend the rim. If there is a drive and you have that paint packing and he's able to defend those skip passes, that that is the way LA can use their athleticism, their speed, their length to be aggressive defensively. Um, and, and force some turnovers and get some runouts. Because Bam's out there, instead of Olenek or instead of Leonard, you often have him in that dunker spot, which makes it so that AD can be playing him and defend the rim while defending those skip passes, while defending Bam, just with how good of a defender he is. I still think drop coverage with uh, going over the screen would work just fine. Um, LA hasn't gone to it much at all this series. When they have, it's shut Miami down. What do you know? Um... That works against everybody but none. Against none, I'd go over and have a catch hedge. Everyone else, drop coverage, go over. I understand going under against Jimmy because he, he, he's not going to be shooting those, but go over with the drop, and you know Bam's not going to be picking and popping. So so that's good offense. Let's let's wrap this up because Notre Dame's going to kick it off. So Miami handoffs. We saw them run more action with two screeners for a shooter, which was smart because the Lakers, after game, what was it, after game three, in, in game three and then games of, in games four and five, LA moved to not sending the screeners man, uh, not hedging on a lot of these and just living with their guards, chasing around the screens, getting back pressure on a Robinson shot, and then living with Robinson trying to drive and attack, which he struggled with in game three, was okay with in game four. In game five, Miami countered this by running him just back and forth off of those handoff actions. Um and and eventually getting him open um, or forcing that eventual hedge. And they even countered that by, you know, running fake handoffs and having Bam attack downhill on a couple times. So if you don't send a hedge, that's probably going to probably will be what happens. I think it's fine just switching these because we know that Robinson's not going to burn you isolating. If you are doing that paint packing, I don't care if Bam has KCP on him. Um, LA can use more off-ball switching. Same, some of the same tactics we use against Denver to recover from those mismatch situations. None is somebody that Miami has been going to in these uh, no-hedge situations to get him attacking downhill. We know he can attack you downhill. If you switch that, he's less likely to be able to, or if you have that catch hedge, um, he's, he's less able to attack you in those ways. So there are different things LA can do. Um, Miami did some smart things last game. LA needs to really clean up a lot of the the, the mistakes they're making. Some of it's scheme stuff. Some of it's just dumb uh, communication and ball watching, stuff like that. I do think a 3-2 zone can make sense. I think playing Dwight more can make sense. I think switching with some paint packing, that, that defense behind it can make sense. Um, LA can do a lot of different things. I don't think they should continue defending the way that they are. And I do think there's opportunity from an execution standpoint, along with the schematic stuff, to make a big jump this next game and, and blow Miami out of the water, in theory. Because the Lakers can win these games by four or five points, but we should be seeing 10, 15-point victories if, if the Lakers do the right thing. So 
This has been the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I apologize for my speedy talking and the lack of editing. Go follow me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA. Follow Tom at Creative Destroyer. Go follow the uh, B-Ball Index at B-Ball under, or the underscore B-Ball underscore Index. Um, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That's super helpful. Um, I, I, I've had people asking for, for this these pods to go up. Uh, really, we would love it if you could support the show by giving us those reviews and helping this get out to more Laker fans. Share it with your Laker friends. Um, hopefully this is allowing you to see the game differently, see more as it's happening, analyze the game. Uh, I love nothing more than when people are like, oh man, there should have been a pen and flare screen on that play. Or Tim, I can't stop seeing ball screen coverages. Please help me. Like those, those little things make my day. So hopefully uh, this has been useful. Let's see how the Lakers do in the next game. Hopefully they can close it out. Um, bring the right attitude. Know this is going to be a dog fight. Uh, I, that's probably not a great reference. Know this is going to be a fight, and they're going to have to scrap and and, and win this one. Um, Miami's not going to give it to them, but with those right moves, I think the Lakers can certainly bring this home and, and win in Game Six. So let's see. Let's go, Lakers. Uh, you'll catch me next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.